Thanks for joining us on this episode of the A to Z of Tech podcast. I'm your host, Shreya, alongside Luis. And this episode, we're going to be looking at a really pertinent topic, P for privacy. It's been 12 months of lockdown, which has resulted in changes in our behaviors, whether that be how we work, shop, or socialize, and also has wider implications of the data we share, who we share it with, and how the data is then used. Hi, Shreya. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think those are really important factors at the minute. I think as well, they also ask the question about whether our general attitude to privacy has changed as well, um, partly because of the way that we are now just so used to sharing our information online. Um, however, you know, obviously quite a few people might be uneasy about this and thinking more, more broadly about actually the price we're paying um, for that kind of data and, and the privacy we're giving away. So to explore that topic in a bit more detail, um, we have two guests with us today on the podcast who can hopefully help us understand some of the technology behind the issues with privacy, both for individuals and for businesses, and how we can think about protecting ourselves too. Indeed, Louise. Um, on that note, we're delighted to welcome John Mitchison, who is the Director of Policy and Compliance at the Data Marketing Association, and Fidelma Good, who's a director here at PwC. She co-leads the data protection strategy, law and compliance services practice. Thank you both for joining us today. John and Fidelma have known each other for quite a while, so we're looking to hear your stories. Oh, it's nice to be here, thank you. Thanks, Shreya, looking forward to it. Fidelma, if we could turn to you first, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've come to work in data protection and privacy? What a lovely question to get right at the beginning. Shreya, I think I'm involved in privacy because I'm inherently nosy, which sounds a complete contradiction in terms. But my background is actually uh, in technology. And when I started my working life many, many years ago, I'm not going to tell you how many it was, but many years ago, uh, I was working in the Bank of Ireland and we were redeveloping the bank's bookkeeping system. and what I could see was we were creating a separate record for people who had current accounts, a separate record for people who had savings account, a separate record for people who had mortgages. And when I asked why it wouldn't make sense to try and understand the relationship the bank had with the individual, I was told to go away and just get on with my coding and, and leave those types of things to others. So I've always inherently had an interest in that information, the data that was held about people. And I've been so lucky through my life that I have ended up uh, through the various career choices that I've been able to make to actually end up here at PwC, basically combining everything that interests me information about people using that for maximum benefit but also keeping right at its heart the people about whom the information uh relates so uh you know as i say an ideal job i think if if you are inherently nosy get into privacy i know it's counterintuitive but it's worked for me so with that background in mind then an interesting sort of start of a 10 question might be, why is privacy important? Why is it a topic that we're talking about at the minute? Louise, at the heart of privacy is the concept of trust. 
And I know everybody uh, listening now is probably suffering still from GDPR fatigue and also possibly cookie fatigue at this point. But actually, inherently, we know we are in and moving more into a future that is going to be based on data and using and basically uh, delivering value for everybody from that data. So if you and I and anybody else does not have trust in the organizations that are gathering our data and using it, then the whole thing falls uh, you know, at the first hurdle. So for me, privacy embraces the element of trust that is so essential. And at its heart, GDPR focuses on two key things, transparency with the people whose data is being gathered and accountability by the people who are gathering it and using it. So you're mentioning obviously data a lot there. So I, and I'm presumably the audience as well, have heard a lot about data being compared to um, you know, oh, it's the most valuable commodity since oil, um, all of these kind of comparisons. What actually makes data a valuable asset? Ah, well, if you think about uh, how at the beginning we were describing the changes we've all been through in the last year and the extent to which we are running our lives online, the extent to which we have moved our shopping habits online, uh, even our viewing habits. What is happening in the background basically is that it, that data is being gathered to help basically um, give us the best experience online, in apps, in viewing that it can. Um, it also helps organizations, you know, well-managed data can help organizations save costs not send information about uh, products and services that they know people aren't interested in. Um, information that can help us understand our spending so that we know where and if we have a, a an overspend as I do on coffee. You know, so it's all of those types of things that are really beginning to change and it's hugely down to uh, elements in technology i mean when i started in computing the most expensive thing was the computing itself the storage the ability to, to hold the data now storage is accessible you know we can gather huge volumes of data and the more expensive commodity are the people who can actually analyze that effectively so you mentioned there um gdpr which um i think a lot of people will, will have heard of um in in the past couple of years or so there's also obviously been for example a number of high profile data breaches all of these factors to, I think, serve to actually raise awareness amongst sort of the general consumer about some of the, the privacy implications of, of moving and, and sharing, um, sharing data. What do you think are some of the stress points or the main issues um, around this, both for businesses and for individuals? So if I take businesses first, I think um, the stress points come in fully understanding the requirements of the law, having 
the right skills to guide them in their compliance and balancing compliance against innovation. Because transparency is absolutely essential, but actually describing transparently to somebody who perhaps is not familiar with the technology is a really, really difficult thing. So if I look at the consumer and those apps, the use of the mobile device that I, I mentioned earlier, it is so incredibly difficult to actually describe in accessible ways to someone how cookies and similar technologies are actually operating on the device. And Do you mind so if the, I am, can I chip in there? Sure, um, sure. Because this 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 subject of transparency <clears throat> is right at the top of my agenda. Um, we we've at the DMA, uh, the Data and Marketing Association, we've we've been running a uh, a consumer tracker for a number of years now, and uh, in the latest one, which uh, which was just a couple of years ago, we we do them every three years. Um, there was a there was one stat that sort of popped out at me as something that really ought to you know be highlighted and it's basically 88 percent of people um, want to see more transparency about the way their data is collected and used all right so you know 88 percent people that's a huge majority and i think the difficulty and it was something that you were just touching on there is the fact that the technology that marketers use in the form of cookies or you know some of the things that they might be doing with data in that you know it's being shared or analyzed or you know used for profiling and that kind of thing is very difficult to explain it's quite technical stuff um and i think that there is there is a ch there's definitely a challenge there um and that's where i think the, the word that you used was trust trust is essential in all our marketing and again it comes up a lot in in research but what, what marketers want to do with data is often you know just quite benign we want to be able to pick out the people that we, we we want to speak to and send them the right message. But in order to do that, we need a lot of data and we need to do uh, some sort of classification or profiling, which gets quite technical. And that's where people tend to get a little bit wary um, because obviously the word profiling can have a lot of negative connotations, although it's quite benign in the, in the marketing space. So the technology that marketers have been using has kind of been allowed to get to run away with itself and it's been doing great things but now the privacy regulations have been tightened up there's a bit of a gap and uh in in some ways we're going to have to sort of close down what the what the technology and marketing did because it was sort of running running away with itself and maybe uh getting outside of the areas of uh, appropriate privacy so john maybe it's worth us taking a moment there just to explain uh, what are the, the the nuances of general data protection regulation and this wonderful thing that we refer to as pecker <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, uh, so so the general data protection shall i kick off yeah yeah you you, you go ahead with the gdpr gdpr so uh the gdpr is is basically uh putting individuals back in control of their personal data. As I mentioned earlier on, the, the key uh, target there is transparency so that uh, John and myself and Louise and Shreya and everybody else who gives their personal data has an understanding of what is going to be done with the data that they are providing and also how they can exercise rights that they have. And a business has to be able to prove that they are 
compliant and that's described under accountability. And John, do you want to pick up PECA? <laughs> yeah, okay. So PECA or the PEC regs or privacy and electronic communications regulations. I think uh, the first iteration came out in 2002 and it's been amended a few times since then. Um, and, and as it would suggest, it's about privacy in electronic communications. So there's an overlap there with personal data. Um, PECA isn't exclusively about personal data, it's about other things as well, but there is an overlap. And so you do have to think about it in conjunction with GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, when you're dealing with people's personal data. John, I guess, coming back to you, um, how have you come to become involved in data and marketing? And could you tell us a little bit more about DMA? I'm sure that's another acronym our listeners have heard earlier on. Okay, yeah, of course. Uh, well, I'll start with that, if you like. Um, the DMA is the Data and Marketing Association. Uh, we're a trade association for companies uh, engaged in marketing uh, in the UK, uh, but we have connections uh, further afield um, with European DMAs and global DMAs as well. There's a whole, there's a whole bunch of us around the place. And of course, we're, like I said, we're a trade association for people in that space. We've got about a thousand members split pretty much evenly across brands, agencies and suppliers. And we represent those companies when we uh, when we engage in lobbying activities. Uh, we have councils filled with experts from the various companies that are members that produce outputs. And uh, we do webinars and, and uh, other kind of events. We have a lot of training, which is run by the uh, world-renowned um, IDM, or Institute of Data and Marketing. Uh, and they have courses, anything from a simple online course to postgraduate diplomas. So if we're kind of thinking about your experience with working with businesses and thinking about how they're able to secure or safeguard the data, whether that customer or personal data they have access to, what do some of those best practices look like? And um, this is probably a, a topic that is at the top of people's agenda at the minute because we are, as we've said, sharing much more personal data at the minute, particularly, for example, like health data, given the current the current situation. So it'd be interesting to hear what some of those best practices might um, might look like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you should bring that up, actually, because, um, again, I'm, I'm just looking at some research that we that we've done uh, at the DMA. And there's a there's a as well as our UK research into consumer attitudes, we actually did a global one as well, um, calling on all the uh, DMAs from around the world. And one of the major uh, points that people made um, about the implications of their data going out into businesses and the why, you know, because it's, it's shared you know, quite widely around around business and, and the internet now, was the fear of hacking. Okay, um, and hacking obviously is a form of data breach, you know, and we hear quite a lot of about these in the news. There are some major um, hacks that have gone on. And that is a concern for people because it can be it can cause so many problems um, further down the line. You know, the loss of your data means that somebody else may have it and um, use it for nefarious purposes, which then obviously can affect your credit rating. And, you know, you have to at the very least you have to change all your passwords, you know, which is the biggest job I'd ever have to do. Um, so. A security and looking after people's data effectively is uh, is f fundamental. It's one of the main um, pillars of, of the general data protection regulation um, is that you have to have appropriate security measures. And I might jump in there, John, because this is one of the areas that we uh, you know talk with our uh, clients a lot, and particularly our uh, cyber team who 
the data protection team work closely hand in hand with. So one of the things in the context of technology these days is you obviously have data held, we describe that as data at rest, and, and that's sitting in these large combinations uh, of data in these databases. So you need certain types of protection there. So for instance, um, if there is a large uh, database in your organization, then only people who need to have access to that data or even certain parts of that data should be able to get at it. So those would be referred to as access controls. Um, and for instance, then you may have data which is moving from point A to point B or company A to company B, and that's data in transit. And what you need to do there is apply some other sort of protections. And general uh, principle of data protection is uh, about minimization. So for instance, it's about thinking about, do you need to send all of the data? Or in fact, can you achieve your purpose with just a bit of it? And encryption is a term that people will probably have heard of. And again, we'll all be used to that concept, I think, now of you know when you're moving data around, that it's encrypted and it's protected. John, if I pick up on something that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago around um, personal email options and preferences, mm-hmm. how can consumers ensure that their data isn't being used in ways that they're not comfortable with? So, for example, that might be something like opting out of marketing emails, for example. Mm. Okay. Yeah, no, this is brilliant. Uh, Fidelma brought up the subject of transparency and we've talked about that a lot and that's obviously very important if you imagine that you're faced with a form um, in my mind automatically a form would be something online but it could just as easily be a piece of paper or a conversation over the telephone Um, during the process of data collection you know you're putting your information into uh, into a form um, there needs to be a way there needs to be a way of me understanding exactly what's going to happen so um, when it comes to uh, very obvious things like you know um, whether I want to receive uh, an email from this company on a regular basis, then there'll probably be a statement on that form that says just that. Put your email address in here if you'd like to receive regular updates from us, or tick this box if you're happy for us to send you regular news and updates. You know, you, we've all seen that kind of thing. And by ticking that box, that is opting in. All right, that's a positive statement, and you're basically telling that company that you don't mind receiving uh, an occasional email from them, from them. But there will be more information associated with that, and that's always um, attached in a privacy policy. So at the bottom of a form, you will see a link to a privacy policy, or if, if it is on paper, it might be on the back, or you might they might tell you where to find it online. Um, but there will be a lot more information telling you all about the company, um, how they hold their data. It might go into some of the security methods, what happens to it, do any other companies get involved, all the kind of information um, that you might need to know if you're concerned about where your data might end up. And um, the good thing about emails, I think, is that um, you know you have to ask for an email. Okay, people can't just send consumers emails just because they feel like it. Um, You know, when I uh, shop online at the point of checkout, there's almost always, you know, do you want to get something from us in the future? And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And that's a choice, you know, up to you. 
when it comes to other methods of communication, um, tra traditional marketing, direct mail and telephone, it's also uh, an option. You can have an opt out rather than an opt in. OK, so that basically means tick this box if you don't want us to send you something through the post. All right. So sometimes that gets a bit confusing, but, you know, it should be fairly obvious um, if people are following the right transparency rules. But there are also other ways that you can um, affect what kind of marketing that you get or how your data is used in, in any context. Um, a lot of companies now have what's known as a preference center. So as well as their privacy policy and maybe some information about cookies, there'll be a link to a preference center. And that will be a list of options that you can choose which are relevant just to you as an individual. So yes, you might want to get an email uh, and you don't mind getting something through the post occasionally, you know, and you'll make the various changes in this preference center, save the changes, and then the company knows exactly how they are, uh, how they're supposed to deal with you that makes you happy, right? And I think that's a really good way of, um, personalizing things for people and making sure that you don't irritate people by too much communication in one space and all of that kind of thing. But there are a couple of other options as well. When it comes to traditional marketing, which is the opt-out style of marketing, there are there are a couple of services available. Uh, one is called the mailing preference service. One is called the telephone preference service, MPS and TPS um, for short. And those are basically lists. You can go to the websites, the relevant websites, register your details, and you go onto a, a list, which is no, they're known as a suppression file. And that suppression file is used by just about everybody in marketing to remove the names of people who have specifically said that they don't want to receive unsolicited marketing through the phone. John, one of the, the things I get asked about on TPS is the mobile versus landline scenario. Mm -hmm. So TPS is for everything, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, yeah. For some reason, people tend to assume it's landline only, but we don't we're not fussy at TPS. We'll take any telephone number, um, landline or mobile. Well, John, thank you for that um, information regarding TPS, because I know two of the banks recently have announced in the news that a lot of the scams are being done by text messages as well. So mobile definitely comes into the play there. Um, I think switching gears a little bit, we'd be interested in hearing from you on if we have reached a generational tipping point, wherein young adults are now so accustomed to sharing their personal data online that this will be their new normal, but maybe uh, not all of us are as comfortable. I want to get your thoughts on that. We'll go to you first, yeah. John. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, um, again, through the through the research that we do at the DMA, we've kind of um, split consumers into sort of three main groups when it comes to how they feel about uh, sharing data and giving data to companies, you know, particularly in an online situation. Uh, so we have data pragmatists, okay, and they're sort of you know, fairly middle of the road. If if they uh, if it's explained to them properly uh, and they see value in that data exchange, then they will share their data. Then we have data fundamentalists um, who are obviously they're very careful. They don't want to share their data with anybody. And then there are the unconcerned, all right, who will you know do whatever they're asked to with their data and put it out wherever. Now. Strangely enough, over the years that we've been tracking this study, it's the uh, it's the unconcerned which is the largest growing area, um, and we put the, and this is obviously down to um, younger people joining the sort of um, you know the, the the community of online users and shoppers, um, and uh, 
they've grown up in a digital space. They've grown up playing games online, social media online, and then suddenly they're shopping online. And the you know the, the sharing of data is just natural to them, and they don't uh, see it as the problem that maybe some older people do. But having said that, in the in the very last study that we did, the largest change um, in the in this uh, pragmatist fundamentalist unconcerned dynamic was actually with slightly older people. It was the 55 to 64 year olds that were um, that were making the biggest change, and they were more happy now to share. So it might, as well as the younger people coming in at the bottom who are happy to share data, uh, the older people at the at the top of the graph, they're Maybe they're learning how to deal with it um, and how to control their data use, and now they're becoming much more comfortable sharing data as well. So there's two two sides to that uh, that thing. I think yeah. some of those um, generational points that you've you've made and and how those trends evolve in the next few years are definitely going to be really interesting to watch, both with the younger generation, but as you've said, also also the older generations and how they begin to act interact with different technologies and become more comfortable become more comfortable with with sharing their their data online absolutely yeah definitely um if we put a sort of a final wrap-up question to you both and ask you to get your um crystal balls out and do some gazing into the future Fidelma, maybe if i turn to you first is there future data protection legislation coming on the horizon around privacy and do you actually think that this evolving context of how different generations interact online will begin to shape what that looks like? So uh, the answer to, to that is, is yes. Um, John spoke earlier on about uh, PECR, the Privacy and Electronic Communication Regulations. That actually is implemented in UK law, but it actually derives from a European law. And Europe is at the point of finalizing what the next generation of those e-privacy rules will be. And uh, as John said, I mean, they, they date back to 2002 with changes having been applied in the interim. But yes, we are looking at some changes coming. So, for instance, at the moment, the cookie law requires that you get consent if you read anything from or write anything to a user's device, whether that's a laptop, a mobile phone, uh, you know, an iPad, anything. And that includes getting consent if you're running straightforward analytics. So if you're simply counting yeah, how many people are visiting your website? Not that it's Louise or Shreya or John, but actually that there have been three people visiting. That at the moment needs active consent. And it's hugely difficult to describe to someone in your cookie notice, we just want to count the number of visitors because they have to take an active action to say, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. So what we hope is or anticipate is certainly in that European law that there will be a move to a pragmatism that protects privacy but enables businesses to actually operate effectively in the digital space. Thank you, Fidelma. Any any quick thoughts from yourself, John, on, on your part of part of the landscape? Yeah, absolutely. I, I personally I think we're we're kind of like at a we're at a turning point in a way, and I don't quite know how far we're going to turn. So 
three years ago now, um, GDPR was implemented. And there was a lot of concern when GDPR first came in. It, it did make uh, quite a few changes, fundamental sort of um, changes to the way people thought about data. But over the years, we've kind of got to grips with that. And I think pretty much everybody now will think that GDPR is a, is a good thing. It's a good thing for consumers. It's a good thing for businesses as well, um, not least because it forces them to understand how they use data and where it goes and, and, and how they're processing it. But, um, but now that we've we've left the EU uh, and we're just sort of we're about to start coming out of um, the you know the downturn in in the economy due to coronavirus, the government is very keen to um, encourage innovation and encourage business to sort of like get up and running again as as quickly as they can. Um, and one of the things that the guys at DCMS, uh, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport have said is that they they don't want to be too um, restricted by the data protection regu regulation. So although GDPR is great, sometimes the way that it's interpreted, and it's supposed to be interpreted the same all across Europe, although that doesn't seem to have happened so far, um, the way that it's interpreted can sometimes be a bit strict and a bit restrictive for businesses. And we're hoping to see that open up a little bit and just a little softening of the interpretation to allow businesses to get the most out of it without reducing any harm, uh, or sorry, without increasing any harm uh, to consumers along the way. Thank you, John. It'll be really interesting to see how that develops then in, the, in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, unfortunately, however, that does bring us to the end of today's episode. But thank you both, John and Fidelma, so much for joining us and sharing some of your insights from your own professional experience and um, your expertise. I think I was particularly interested, actually, to hear that the TPS is both for mobile as well as landline. So I think I'll probably be in touch there about that. <laughs> OK, look forward to it. <laughs> Also, a big thank you for our listeners for joining us on this episode and make sure to subscribe to our series so you don't miss our next episode, which will be Q for Quantum.